2. Last week, we looked at the importance of um, staying connected to Jesus. In verse 6 and 7, Paul kind of says the same thing four different ways. He says, this Jesus who you've received as Lord, you need to continue to live in him. That's continue to walk in him. You need to be rooted in him. You need to be built up in him. You need to be strengthened in him. There's all of this false teaching and these wrong understandings floating around in your city. And in order for you not to be deceived by these, he calls them in verse 4, fine-sounding arguments, you need to grab on and hang on and stay connected to Jesus. And, and last week, we talked about a life rule and said that was a practical way of continuing to live in him, of staying rooted and grounded in him. Most of us have stuff in our hearts from the Lord. We know how he wants us to live. You know what's important to you from God. You know the things that you should be about on a regular basis. But for many of us, it's difficult to actually do those things consistently. We live with this kind of low-grade guilt because we're not living up to our calling. We're not living up to uh, who God, who we know God wants us to be. And it's not like we've got the bar up super high. It's just we know there are things God has put in our heart. But for whatever reason, it's difficult for us to actually walk those things out on a regular basis. And this idea of a life rule is an intentional way of doing that. And I showed you some examples um, last week. If you get the email update, I put mine in there. And this is what I've asked everybody. I've asked everybody to take a shot at it. There's, there's the two-step process. Step one is to discern what's in your heart. It's just ask, what's, what's in here? What are the truths? What are the values? What are the verses that I feel like God wants me to base my life on? If you don't know, you can always go, love God, love people, make disciples. You can't go wrong with those six words. For me, I said it was Romans 8.29, uh, that I would be conformed into the image of Jesus. So that's one of the things that's in my heart. And then I said specifically, in order for that to happen, the taking the internal and making it external, I need to guard my time with the Lord. I need to regularly spend time with Him. I need to live a life of social and financial and sexual integrity. And there's some other things I put in there. And I said another one of the big rocks for me, another one of the values is Ephesians 2.10. God's created good works for me to do, and I need to figure out what those things are, and then I need to do them. And I know for me, my deal is to help other people do their deals, and so that's part of what I do on a weekly basis. That's, that's it for me. If I look at my calendar and I'm not meeting with people, helping them do that, then I've missed it. And then there were some other things that I listed. And then I said from Genesis 2, for me to live a life of rhythm with work and rest and relationships, and I put some stuff under each of those with work. It's keeping regular office hours and rest. It was taking my vacation days and some other things and relationships. It was going out with Misty once a week and spending, being present in the lives of my children. Anyway, I had all these specific things, and you can go and look at that. And what we're asking for y'all is to do that. Step one, discern what's in your heart. Step two, then what does it look like for you actually to live those truths out on a regular basis? We've set up a link on the Stonebridge um, website for a discussion board. And you can go to that link, click, or go to the website, click on that link. It'll take you to a discussion board. And what we're asking is that people would um, put their stuff up there. You don't have to put your name. You can come up with some nickname or whatever if you don't want your name on it. But we want, I want to see what everybody's doing. And I think it would encourage us if we could see that. So wherever you are in the process, you can look on that discussion board. You can figure out how to navigate through it. I think you have to register. And then you can log in. And you can comment on other people's. Be nice, of course. Don't tell them they picked a dumb Bible verse or anything like that. and You already had that one, so they can't. None of that stuff works. So just look at what's on there and 
we did say there was a subset of people who don't need to do this. If you're someone who your identity is tied to your accomplishments, if it's difficult for you to see yourself as a son or daughter of God, you tend to see yourself as a servant, as a slave, you're driven with a lot of self-imposed rules, you don't need to do this because it'll probably just make things worse for you. So for you, we said just stop at step one. Discern what's in your heart. Figure out what are these values, these truths, these things that God wants you to live out, and then maybe just hold right there. Don't take the next step. But for the rest of us, it's a good way of getting what's in here out here with some intentionality. So that said, if you have any questions, you can see me, or if you have some questions about how to do the thing on the website, you can see Kim. So uh, Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. See to it, beware, be on the lookout, that no one takes you captive, that no one kidnaps you, that no one lures you away, that you're not taken as plunder through hollow and deceptive philosophy, through... Um, teachings, beliefs, understandings about God, about life, and about how God relates to us, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. This is from Matthew, uh, excuse me, from Mark 7 on human tradition. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. There's that idea of tradition, uh, human tradition there. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. That's the same phrase from Colossians, that idea of the traditions of men. So what Jesus is saying there is, you guys, you've let go of the commands of God because you're grabbing on to these traditions of men, these, or in Paul's words, these hollow, these empty, these deceptive philosophies that depend on, that are based on, that hang on the traditions of men. Now, I want you to see this is the intent behind all of this is wonderful. What the Pharisees are saying, we've talked about this before, their belief based on their history and the history of the Jewish people is we've got to follow the rules. If we don't follow the rules, then we've broken relationship with God and bad things happen. And they have a national memory of bad things happening, very bad things happening to them. Read the Old Testament. And so what they're doing is they're saying we have got to keep the rules. Otherwise, we've broken relationship with God and bad things are going to, he's going to judge us. Again, we don't want that. We don't want to be exiled again. We don't want our temple destroyed again. We don't want the walls of our city destroyed again. We don't want to see people slaughtered. We don't want famine. We don't want plague. We, we don't want those things. So follow the rules. And because the rules are so important, let's build a fence. We've talked about this before. Let's put a fence around the rules. That way, if you, don't, if you never jump the fence, then you're never in danger of breaking the rule. And again, the heart behind it is wonderful. Let's keep a relationship with God. Let's maintain our purity, our righteousness, so that we can stay in a right relationship with God. And so, for instance, there's a couple of places in Leviticus, there's a weird rule. Don't boil a kid in his mother's milk, whatever. 
that means, so that's the rule. And so they say, well, let's make sure nobody ever accidentally does that. So let's have a set of dishes for meat and a set of dishes for dairy. That way there's no way you can accidentally boil a kid in his mother's milk. Again, the heart, that's wonderful. Well, here's the rule, so let's build this fence. If you never do this, then there's no way you're going to do this. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Huge, one of the Ten Commandments. Very important rule, very important law. And they built, the, the rabbis built all kinds of fence. Fort Knox around this. Here's 39 things that you can't do. Sowing, that's with an O. Plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying or untying, sewing two stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, filleting, salting meat, curing hide, scraping hide, cutting hide up, writing two letters, erasing two letters, building, tearing a building down, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire, hitting with a hammer, taking an object from the private domain to the public, or transporting an object in the public domain. All of those things. You can't do any of those if you want to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So there are Jews today who won't turn on lights on Saturday because that's, that's kindling a flame. They won't turn on their car because it's internal combustion engine. And that's kindling a flame. There was, they said, don't even, the, the rabbi said, don't even pick up a pencil. Don't touch a pencil. That way you, you'll, you're not going to write two letters if you don't have a pencil in your hand. Don't pick up a hammer. That, there's no way you're going to hammer anything. Again, the heart behind all of that's wonderful. Let's not break the rules so that we can maintain our ritual, our religious, our right purity, righteousness before the Lord. So we can maintain this relationship. There's 613 commands in the Old Testament. I think there's 248 things you can do and 365 you can't. Something like that. Now imagine, 613. I just gave you 39 around one of the commandments. Imagine, multiply that out. I mean, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds, thousands most likely of laws, rules for us to keep up with. It'll suck the life out of you. The intentions are wonderful. Who? Yeah, it's good to wash your hands before you eat. Absolutely. I'd rather eat from a clean pitcher than a dirty one. But they miss the point of all of it. And that's what Jesus is saying. You guys have missed the point. The traditions of men, and we still follow them. It's our attempts to maintain a right relationship with God based on our methods, our strategies, and our effort. It's about what we can bring to the table. What we can do to maintain this relationship. Regardless of what he said, it's what we're bringing to the table. And what Paul says is, don't be kidnapped by that stuff. Don't be lured away by that stuff. We'll talk some more about what some specifics are later. This is Galatians 4. What I'm saying, this is Paul talking again, is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. So there's that idea of the basic principles of the world again. And the, the thinking, it's, it's, it's elementary stuff. It's immature understandings of who God is and how we relate to him. The picture, there's a kid who, he's the heir of this huge estate. But because he's so young, he can't run it. He can't enjoy it. And so he's 
the picture, there's almost someone who's in slavery to the trustees and the guardians who've been placed over him with the best of intentions. But when the time had fully come, Jesus came to set that kid free so that he can be who he is, which is an heir, not a slave. And Paul is saying, don't be kidnapped by that stuff, by these immature, incomplete understandings of who God is and how we're supposed to relate to him. Don't be kidnapped by these philosophies. They're deceitful. Sometimes we think it's harmless. Who cares if people wash their hands before they eat in a certain way? Nobody cares. That's, it's okay. But there's a point at which all of that stuff enslaves us. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says this, The coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that, dece- that deceives. There's that idea again. These are deceptive philosophies, and we see the tie here in Second Thessalonians. To every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Why do they perish? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So there's this picture here that this stuff can appear to be, it's fine. It's just different strokes for different folks. But underneath that, we need to recognize we have an enemy who's trying to enslave us. He's trying to drag us out of the kingdom of light back into the kingdom of darkness. We've been set free and he's trying to convince us that we still live in bondage. It's not harmless stuff. These teachings that are immature, that are incomplete, that are based on human wisdom, they can wind up enslaving us, capturing us again. And the remedy to that is to base our life on things that are uh, dependent upon Christ because in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form too much for us to get into this morning, but the, the doctrine behind that is that Jesus is one person with two natures, human and divine, 100% God, 100% man at the same time. We, we don't get that, so we don't get that. But it's something that we have to hold on to. And some of us are tempted one way or the other. Some of us tend to bring Jesus kind of down to our level. He's our buddy or he's our boyfriend or whatever, and we're just we're hanging out. And he's just like one of us, only better. And we so emphasize his humanity and what we have in common that we lose the fact, this is God that we're talking about. And some of us, we fall into the other ditch and we so elevate Jesus. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Son of God. He's the Word. That we lose any connection with him as a man. We need to hold on to both. If we lose either of those, if we lose his humanity or we lose his divinity, we've lost our Savior. The reason he's fully God and fully man in one person is that's what we needed to save us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15.21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. That first man was Adam, the second is Jesus. Romans 8.3, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, by our flesh. God did by sending His own Son and the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. The picture there. We needed a mediator who could relate to both sides. We needed a mediator who was sympathetic with us as humans and who could relate to God as God. And He's the only one that is both of those, God and man, at the same time. We can't lose either one. We might not get it how He can be 100% 100%. But he was, and we need to, and is, and we need to hold on 
to both of those. This is a paraphrase, my paraphrase of John Calvin. As God alone, Jesus could not experience death. And as man alone, Jesus could not overcome death. So God coupled human nature with divine, so he might submit the weakness of human nature to death. And by wrestling with death, by the power of his divine nature, he might win victory for us. The idea, as God, Jesus couldn't die. As man, Jesus could not overcome death. We need both. Someone had to die for us or we're dead in our sins. And then someone had to overcome death or we can't. In Jesus, both of those things come together. As he's 100% man and he died the death for us and he's 100% God and he overcame death as the final enemy. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you've been given fullness, completeness, wholeness in Christ who is the head, who is the source, who is the Lord over every power and authority, over every cosmic force that opposes God. We'll talk about those more later. The picture here for Paul, he's saying, why in the world would you base your life on some philosophy, on some tradition, on some teaching, on some understanding that's based on human wisdom or these elementary, basic, incomplete, immature understanding? Why would you do that? When you've got in Jesus the fullness of God and in Him we receive fullness. Why would you trade fullness for this little incomplete, partial, immature understanding that you've grabbed onto? Will you help me grab this? So this is a picture. You can't push it too far because then it becomes bad and I can get in trouble. So take it for what it is. This is, let's say this is Jesus. And let's say this water is divinity. It's deity. And so, in him, the fullness of God. I think that was Colossians 1.17, that we, or 1.19, I think, that we looked at um, a few weeks ago. In Jesus, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell. So, Jesus, he's, a, he's God, and this is us. Kim said to call him Bob, which would make him what? I can't say that because it's too corny. It would make him SpongeBob. So, this is us. And this is the picture we talked about last week. Continuing to live in him, abiding in him, remaining in him. That's this. That's the picture of what it looks like. All of deity dwells in Jesus. And what he is saying is in him, in him, as we live in him, remain in him, abide in him, we have his fullness. So is the sponge in the water or is the water in the sponge? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. This is how some of us live. We're Christians. We take a dip in the Jesus pool and then we go and live. It's just a matter of time before we dry out. And then we go and I need to go back to camp or I need to go on a retreat or I need to come back to church or whatever it is. And this is how we live. Dipping and then living and then dipping and then living. That's not the picture for us. That's not, what, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what it means to remain in Him and will bear fruit. That's what it means. Remain. Stay. Don't jump in and out. There's some of you in this room, you've never taken the first dip. You're, out, you're a dried up sponge. And you're trying to live life that way. And for many of us as Christians, I would say for most of us, probably all of us, we tend to live jumping in and jumping out, jumping in and jumping out. That's running on fumes. 
that's not living in the fullness that Paul says is ours. He says to you, to us, he's given fullness, completeness, wholeness. Is that you? Is that me? Would you say last week you lived in the fullness of Christ every day? Or would you say you jumped in and you jumped out? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, depending on the circumstances or whether you were hungry or whether somebody cut you off in traffic or whatever it was. That's how it is for most of us. We jump in and we jump out. This is the picture. Remain, live, abide, walk, continue in Him. Stay. Stay put. We don't have a God who sits up in heaven and says, give me, give me, give me, give me, appease me. We have a God who came to earth as a man and says, receive from me. It's the greatest offer in the world. Why don't you give me your brokenness and I'll give you my wholeness. Give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. Give me your bondage, I'll give you my freedom. Give me your confusion, I'll give you my peace. Give me your darkness, I'll give you my light. Who turns down that offer? We do. All the time. And I'm not talking Christian, non-Christian. All of us turn it down all the time. We've been kidnapped. We've been lured away by these immature, incomplete, false understandings of who God is and how we're supposed to relate to Him. We might know something in our head, but that's not how we live. I thought of a few. You can see if any of these fit you. I think the biggest one for most of us is that we tend to relate to approach God based on our merits. We want to show Him our resume. And then we expect Him to respond to us based on that resume. God, and there's, we do this two ways. For some of us, we're winners. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, favored children. We always get what we want. We're, we've never really struggled. When something goes wrong, we don't look at ourselves. We look at everybody else because we know we didn't do it. Kind of that, that you know if that's you. And what we want to say is, look at my list, God. Do you, have you seen all that I've done? You don't, do you know what time I get up every morning? I've got this many Bible verses memorized. I have two recycling bins. You know how many ladies I've helped across the street? We do, we're showing him our resume. And because of that, we're saying, now, I need to be married by 25. I need three happy and healthy children. I need to move up in my company. Like, that's the thing. We don't do that consciously or explicitly, but we're keeping score in our heart. Look at all the things that I've done. I'm a first-round draft pick. You don't treat them that way. You need to respond to me. There's a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 20. The, the vineyard workers, you've heard this. There's a guy, he owns a vineyard. And he gets up in the morning, it's time to harvest. So he goes to Crystal or whatever, and he gets some guys who are looking for work at 6 in the morning. He brings them in. Now these guys, you've got to remember, if they're day laborers, it's because they don't own their own land. These guys are the bottom of the food chain, low rung on the ladder. Theoretically, should be thankful for whatever they get because they've got nothing. That's why they're sitting around, and that's why this guy can go hire them. So he goes at 6 in the morning, he hires some guys. says, y'all work for me today, I'm going to give you $100. Great, good deal. It's 9 o'clock, there's more work to be done. He goes up there, he gets some more, brings them back, get to work. He goes at 12, gets some more, goes at 3, gets some more, goes at 5 and gets some more, and then at 6... You know, the dinner bell rings. It's time to cut everybody loose. He calls them up to settle up. He starts with the 5 o'clock crowd. Gives them $100. I'm sure they're thinking, whoa, one hour, that's a pretty good rate. Call me tomorrow. 3 o'clock crowd, $100. 12 o'clock crowd, $100. This 9 o'clock crowd and the 6 o'clock crowd, you know they're thinking, 
what's he going to do for us? We worked nine hours. We worked 12 hours. We worked in the heat of the day. We did more. We produced more. Nine o'clock crowd comes, $100. Six o'clock crowd comes, $100. And somebody from the six o'clock crowd says, hey, man, this isn't fair. What are you, what are you doing? We worked for 12 hours. They worked for one. You paid us the same. They got $100 an hour. We got eight. How does that work? It's not fair. And the owner of the vineyard says, absolutely, it's not fair. You and I made a deal. I said I'd give you $100 to work for today. And you said yes. How can you get upset if I choose to be generous with what I have? Winners. We see ourselves as the 6 o'clock crowd. We've been working all day long. We deserve it. God, when when we tend to approach God out of that sense of what we deserve, what we've earned because of our good behavior, because of our righteousness, because we've never blown it really big. And it's 100% wrong. Some of you, you're losers. That's how you see yourself. It has nothing to do with what you have or have not accomplished. It has everything to do with how you see yourself. You're, you see yourself as a red-haired stepchild. You're, out, you're outside. You're always at the kiddie table. You're never at the adult table. When something goes wrong, your first response is, I blew it. You 100% know you were hired at 5 o'clock. That is not news to you. You know it. The problem for you is you're trying to give the money back. I don't deserve $100. I dropped some grapes. I didn't get as many as I thought I should. I've only worked for one hour. You're apologizing. You're doing penance. You're, you're running laps because you're late. Difficult for, just like a winner can't receive God's grace because of all the good things they've done. A loser, again, has nothing to do with what you've accomplished. It has to do with how you see yourself. And you, you know if that fits. You can't receive God's grace. Because of what, for whatever reason, you're beneath it. And you keep score too. A winner keeps score. We're always ahead. And God always owes us. Losers keep score. You're always behind. And you're never to a place where you can receive from God. You got a little, you got to run a few more laps, do a few more push-ups before you get back to even. You're trying to give back the money. Just, just give me five dollars. Just enough to eat. And you, just like a winner, you're approaching God based on your own merits based on how much penance you can do, how sorry you can be, how much you can grovel. And you don't get, it's grace. None of us approach him based on our merits. That's a, we all lose. None of us deserve happiness. None of us deserve health. None of us deserve anything good. We approach him based on his merits, based on the fact that he's gracious and he gives us what we don't deserve. And he's merciful and he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And if we'll approach him based on those merits, then we have something to talk about. But as long as we're like these guys in the vineyard, or we're running the math in our head, we're keeping score, we've lost, we're out. That we've been taken captive by some human philosophy. Every other area of life, what you do matters. Everything else, they want to see. you apply for a job that doesn't ask for your resume. Everybody wants references and a resume. And you stand and fall, most likely, on your own merits. That's what we want. That's fair. That is not the kingdom of God. Don't allow that to take you captive, that understanding. For some of you, it's not that. It's There's a fear for you. You're afraid of what God might do to you. You're more comfortable with the devil that you do know than the God that you don't. And you'll stay that way. And you'll stay cozy in the world that you've created with yourself, even with the brokenness, even with the struggles even with because you're afraid of what God might 
ask of you. And there's a little bit of wisdom in that. Because in order to follow him, you do have to let him drive. But at some point, for us, we've got to realize he's a good father. And we can trust him. And the things that he wants for us are the things that are ultimately for our own good. And there will be a trust point from you. And I'll just say, if that's you, if one of the reasons that you tend to hold back is because you haven't, because you're not sure what God's going to do, I'll just say you're never going to be sure. I'm not sure. I've been a Christian since I was 12. I don't know what God's going to, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that he's good. And he's proven that for 23 years. And you can know that too. You won't know until you step. That's just kind of how it works with him. You can't know in advance. He's looking for faith. If you'll take a step, then he'll prove it to you too. Just like he has to me and 70 other people in this room. He'll prove to you he's good. You can lean on him. But you have to take a step. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the offer that you make. I thank you that you're not like so many other gods that we read about in other faiths. Just continuing to raise the bar to see how high we can jump. Constantly asking for us to appease you, to please you in some way. That you start with giving to us. And then what we do is just in response to that. So God, my prayers for any in here today who are trying to approach you based on their own merits, based on their own resume. God, that you would set us free. God, whether we're kind of winner types or loser types, either way, God, I pray that you would set us free, that we would realize it has nothing to do with what we've done and everything to do with who you are. I pray, Father, that for those of us who've been kidnapped, we've been lured away by these deceptive philosophies that maybe are so deep in our hearts, we don't even recognize them, God. I pray for your spirit to bring conviction there. That we would recognize the offer that's on the table. Our brokenness for your wholeness right now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Whether you're a Christian or not, my encouragement, pleading to you, are you living your life in the fullness of Jesus? Are you bobbing in and out? If it's the latter, today, make a choice that you're going to choose to remain to continue to live in, to abide in Him, and to allow His fullness to fill you to fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with communion. If you're helping